what's the difference between the guy who's got 5 million and me with 100,000 followers? They say, what is the difference, Bali? He's got 5 million, you've only got 100,000. And when 2,000 of the people that follow me are millionaires, mm. I don't care about the other 89 and um, the 98,000. They're not, they're irrelevant. They're like your customers. 2,000 people have millions of dollars to spend with me. That's what I care about. The rest are irrelevant. You see, people start thinking about followers. I don't think about followers. I think about clients. Mm. My 2,000 clients are the ones I'm fo- that follow me and listen to what I do. And that's why I make what I make. And, you know, we're, we're somewhat successful. Welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast. I'm your host, Deepak Sharma. And on this show, I have conversations with leaders from all walks of life. We only have one life, so why not make the best of it? These conversations help me level up in many ways, and my mission is for them to help you too. This week, I chat with Bali Singh, an international VIP party planner and founder of the Rich List Group, a company that hosts some of the most high-profile events in the world. Bali's company organizes luxury parties for celebrities such as F1 driver Lewis Hamilton, as well as artists such as David Guetta, Tiesto, Pharrell Williams, 50 Cent, Sting, The Game, Tyrese, And this list is seriously just the tip of the iceberg. Bali has had an insane journey in his life, full of the highest highs and the lowest lows. In today's episode, we talk about how he started off as a nightclub bouncer, eventually became Trey Song's brand manager on tour, earned and lost $28 million overnight, and built himself the successful life and family he has today. This podcast is produced by Deep Digital Media. We take your business from brick and mortar to click and mortar by creating, managing, and promoting captivating content for you to generate sales. This includes online training programs, courses, webinars, podcasts, and so much more. Email connect at deepdigitalmedia.ca to get in touch today. Enjoy the episode and just remember, it's not that deep. Bali Singh, welcome to the It's Not That Deep podcast. First and foremost, man, really happy to have you here. Despite some technical uh, difficulties to start off, uh, we, we've made it happen now. And, uh, you know, I want to introduce you first to those who may not know who you are. You are first and foremost a family man, founder of the Rich List Group. Uh, you're an international VIP party planner. You've thrown events and parties for um, some of the most famous celebrities, musical artists, athletes, and everyone in between all around the world. Uh, you've had many different careers and titles, but one thing you've mentioned um, is that you never forget where you came from. So let's take it back to the humble beginnings and tell people a little bit about who is Bali Singh uh, and, uh, and you know where did he come from? Tell us your story a little bit. Okay, I came from, hi guys, um, I came from a place called Leicester in the UK. That's where I was born and raised. Um, went to a school called Lancaster Boys. Um, I got into kickboxing when I was really, really, well, not really young, but when I was 17. Um, I became the British WKO champion a long time ago, uh, pro-am champ. Anyway, so I, I became this champ and a couple of my friends from a party. This is where this all started from my, my party my event organization and everything started from. So they, they threw a party. It was A-level results in the UK. And what I did was basically they wanted me to come and help security-wise because they didn't really, they weren't those kind of guys. They were promoters, but they didn't know how to handle certain characters. So um, 
had a bit of a reputation, a good reputation, but anyway, I was friendly with everybody. And I did the event with them. It was, it was a sold out event, went very smoothly. I enjoyed the event and I thought this could be for me. So as a sideline, working with my father in Eastern Germany, I used to throw these parties on, on the side. Um, so that's how I got into it originally. And then I carried on throwing these events that kept on growing and growing. Um, then I got an opportunity in a nightclub in Leicester where they never even done an R&B night. It was a very, very unique opportunity. And I, I, they let me into the club and I, I did the first ever R&B hip hop night in the UK on the weekend. On a weekend, I mean, having a Friday R&B night was unheard of in those right. days. Because yeah, it yeah. was just like, you'd get it on a bank holiday maybe, or you'd get it on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. But the weekend was, it was a commercial. It was house. You know, the big clubs would never ever entertain hip hop and R&B because it was a ghetto. And even black people, um, colored people, we weren't the people they wanted in the clubs. Mm. So I got this opportunity. I took the opportunity and I ended up doing this um, hip hop and R&B night called Soul Kitchen in okay. a club called Flaming Colossus. Anyway, the first week I did it, it was quiet. 200 people turned up. I went, oh, stuff into it's not great but the people who heard about the night went back and told people the second week roadblock and then it just continued from there carried on growing and it was the biggest r&b night in the midlands and people were going coming from all over the uk all of a sudden i get phone call um i did tim westwood he's a big hip-hop and r&b dj anyway his bodyguard said bali look i love the club I love your night. Look, if I have any celebrities um, in London, do you mind if I bring them here? I was like, yeah, yeah. Who's he going to bring? A UK hip hop star or something? Anyway, I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. Um, this was like 25 years ago, guys. So I'm just trying to put it in comparison to a celebrity now. So 25 years ago, I get a call one Friday night saying, Bali, Cisco, do you mind if I bring Cisco down to Leicester? Now, let me compare. I know Cisco now, guys, Thong Song, many Cisco years ago. Thong Song guy. Yeah. So those were the days when he was massive. I'm on yeah. about he was performing around the world. Thong Song was, he was like Jay-Z. He was huge. He was this massive sensation with, you know, all the other songs he had as well. So anyway, yeah. um, Drew Hill, that was him. I think, yeah, Drew Hill, yeah. Anyway, I, and then... He came to Leicester, everybody started going crazy. Cisco comes to Leicester, blah, blah, blah. Then other people started following. Then we started getting random celebrities coming to this small city. Um, we had Black Eyed Peas turn up. That's a little bit more current for everybody watching. Yeah. Um, we had Truth Hurts, Sean Paul, Buster Rand. Everybody just running to the club because it was allowed because they couldn't perform. They couldn't be seen in clubs in London because it would mess with their contract and their concert performances. Well, can you explain that a little bit? Why, why was it that these, uh, these big name artists weren't able to perform in London? What was it about, you know, performing because, in London that they weren't able to do? Because they, if they're performing in London, if they're doing a concert, yep, the promoter who's doing the concert in the, in the arena doesn't want them to go to nightclubs because he wants to sell the tickets. 
So they have a clause in their contract saying you can't perform in the same city and you can't go to any nightclubs in the same city. So right. I was that guy with the hookup. So they all used to come to my night in, in uh, Leicester. So that's why I used to get all of these celebrities. So like, they would drive two hours away just to come to the party that you were promoting and hosting. Yeah, it was crazy. That's I mean, nuts. My nights were kind of, they were a little bit crazy compared to your average nights. There was, you know, there was dancers covered in gold or some crazy stuff anyway. Um, we used to do some <laughs> fun stuff, to say the least, you know. It, it was entertaining and people had never seen that with a hip hop and R&B night. So, you know, it was, it was unique. So people taking, a, taking a little bit of a step back from there first, you know, you, you've got, uh, you know, you've got immigrant parents and you're seeing now that you're, you know, kind of more interested in like the party, you know, the, the party life oh. a, a, a little yeah. bit. And now, are they completely understanding that, like, you're not going the typical university, college route, go be a doctor, engineer, lawyer. Instead, you're, <laughs> you're getting into all this party stuff. What was the reaction from them? Let me, my, my father was, a, my father still is religious. He wakes up in the morning at two o'clock in the morning. He, met, he prays, he does his part, and he meditates till six o'clock in the morning till six, then he goes to work. That's the way he was. Again, evening praying. He was very, very strict. And I was Amrit Shakir for a little while, but it wasn't just me. And I just told him, look, this is not me. And he right. understood. Um, but he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy at all. But he understood. Um, he was still angry and he didn't want me to do it. I, I can give you one instance. Me and my cousin brother, we did, we did, we did a gig one night. So my cousin's holding this bag of cash, brown paper bag. Yep, we just did a gig, cash in our hands, coming home. And my house was like Fort Knox. You know the typical floodlights that you get. So anyway, so we, we're trying to in. So we rolled the car onto the driveway, typical Indian yeah. style, because you've been out late. So it's like two o'clock in the morning. Roll, roll the car onto the driveway, try to avoid the floodlights. My cousin, brother, hopefully you'd hear this, drops the bag of cash on the floor. It's just something out of a movie. As he drops the bag of cash, a gust of wind comes. <laughs> so no, this gust man. of wind blows the cash all over the driveway. The floodlights come on. I'm, I've got to explain to my dad, what the hell am I doing with this bag of cash and why the hell are we picking it up from a, on the driveway? Because you know anyway, how it's going to look. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he might have thought it was something else. But I think my father eventually accepted me for who I am. Mm -hmm. it, took a, it took a minute, but he just said, you know what? I'm not going to make your mistakes for you, son. You make your mistakes for yourself. Mm -hmm. You are the person responsible for those mistakes. And more Indian parents should let their kids do that. Let their kids make their mistakes. Don't make mistakes for them. That's the biggest, biggest thing I'd, I'd say out there. That's so true, man. And that's something I've, I've learned as well. And I'm lucky that I do have parents that are very accepting of, you know, you know, different kinds of like lifestyles that are a little bit, you know, not, not the typical 
like being raised in a pin bend back home in uh, in Punjab you know it's 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 very different and you know even though they came up in that they're still very accepting of um, a different kind of lifestyle today and so you know i'm very appreciative that i do have parents uh, like that but being the oldest in my family i very much had to had to set that you know i i had to make those mistakes i had to i had to get those uh you know those ass beatings coming home after my first party you know having a drink or two or something like that like you know it's not uh, it's it's not the most uh you know easy thing to kind of explain to your parents how you want to live your life but having them come around and and recognize that hey like if this is what i want to do and these are how how i'm going to do it and i'm still going to be successful in my own lane i think that's very important man and you've been able to take that and then turn it into something that you know has absolutely changed your life and made you who you are talk to us a little bit about your parents have a very big impact on who you can be if you let that influence you and you were able to be open and real with your parents and just be straight up like look this is kind of the lifestyle i want to live it wasn't very easy at first but you were you were able to kind of show them that hey let me make my own mistakes yeah it wasn't as easy as that but it it took time you know and i was married at a very young age i was married at, and it was an arranged marriage um i got married when i was like 21 um wow. look you know we were married for 13 years we we tried our best um but it didn't work out and we went our separate ways and you know you have to accept it um i wasn't the best husband tell you the truth my mindset was different my i wasn't the right person at that time that's the truth so i can't fault her for my mistakes and the problem is when you bring somebody over from india you know they have a different mindset i had a different mindset and we just clashed but we tried our best and anyway i don't think she regrets it i don't i don't regret it because we've got three amazing children mm-hmm. yep yeah, i've got two girls and one boy and i love them to pieces and you know what i am here where i am here now and i'm very happy that's the truth and that's a beautiful thing man you coming around and realizing that family is the most important thing for you but it wasn't always like that let's walk through your let's walk through your story a little bit and and tell the people a little bit about some of the highs and lows and how you took the um you know the the club promoting that kind of thing and then transition into becoming a full-time entrepreneur and then your whole story of you know going to america living living that life that everybody puts on a pedestal that you want to then having to restart from from zero walk us through that whole story man this is okay. what people need to hear so guys this is what happened um i started a company the nightclub started doing really i opened a nightclub called lounge one in lester it did amazing it was a number one nightclub in the city and in the midlands did really really well it got a great buzz then i started an events company off the back of this a concert company so i started bringing people like dmx i was one of dmx's crew back in the day yeah i was a part of the bloodline uh, gang 
whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I used to roll with Ali, um, X, um, a couple of other. He had some crazy, crazy people on the team. I, I brought DMX to Leicester as well, <laughs> believe it or not. But anyway, wow. I started the concert company and my first ever concert, big concert, was Sean Paul. Mm. So I think everybody knows who Sean Paul is. So this was with, this is when he had his first ever hit with Blue Cantrell. Okay, yep. dang. It was, so it was the first ever concert he had ever done in, in England, in Europe, period. Yep. So I took him to London, um, Nottingham, and I took him to Scotland for the MTV Awards. Okay. So we did the official pre-party for the MTV Awards. Yeah. My first ever full-blown concert. Anyway, so what happened was electric um, a telecommunications company found out about me doing this event. A friend of mine said, look, Bali, I've told these people about you, right? It's a gaming device, what they're working on. And they just want to meet you and know a little bit more about what you're doing with this concert. So I drove down to London, Grosvenor House. This is a guy from, you know, a small town, big city, bright lights, huge hotel, five-star hotel, never seen this. Grosvenor House is very, it's very, very flamboyant, very posh. Mm, posh. And I was like, wow, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. Anyway, I, I walked into this meeting around this boardroom table, all these corporate heads. Um, and they said, look, we just want to know what you do. I said, this is what I do. I have a nightclub. I have an events company. I do concerts. I do promotions. I do marketing. I do branding. They said, okay, it sounds really cool. Um, what are you doing with Sean Paul? Because we want to be associated to urban music. They showed me what they were doing. And it was a, it was a gaming company. So this gaming company said, okay, we'll sponsor you. We'll give you $10,000 $10, to sponsor you. I said, okay, cool. I went back and with that $10,000, I gave them some serious promotion. So we recorded a video, showed them what we did. We got the crowd talking about their device, took it back to them. They loved it. They said, Bali, we want to meet you again. We love what you did. Um, can you tell us more about your company? So we went back to to London to meet these guys. And basically they said, we like what your company's doing. How about if we buy your company from you? Hmm. We want to acquire your company and all your stuff. Okay. I said, okay, that sounds interesting. I mean, you have to understand this is somebody who doesn't really know the corporate world is very excited. And they told me, we'll give you half a million dollars worth of shares in our company. Yep. Our share price is right now three cents. So their share price was three cents at that time when I, when I partnered up. So I had a lot of stock in the company. Right. So anyway, I didn't know what was going on. At that time I was going through not changes in my nightclub and a friend of mine, um, got into an altercation one night in my club and ended up passing away. Oh no. Right. Um, and he died in my arms. Um, and at the same time, this thing was going on. Damn and man. Sorry. Like I got to interrupt you there. Talk to me about that a little bit, man. If you, if you're willing to like, yeah. what was that like? Look, you know, 
I came from an urban background. You understand? Even if people don't think I'm from the streets or I'm ghetto or whatever people think I am. I came from a very urban background. I was an Indian guy doing black music. It wasn't easy. Never mind just music, black music. Yep. And I had my haters. Mm-hmm. And I had the gangsters around me. And they, they wanted a slice, blah, 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 usual stuff. Um, I stood my own ground. I was lucky. And anyway, he was a friend of mine, got into a fight, somebody in the nightclub, and he got stabbed 13 times. He came down the stairs and said, Bali, take me to the hospital. I've been stabbed. So I took him outside. And as we went outside, he just collapsed. And, and I remember that time because nobody would open a car door for me. I was like, somebody opened a door for me. Mm. Everybody was just standing still. And I was trying to get my friend in a car to take him to the hospital. No one and wanted to just, help out. No, everybody was just like scared. You know, I've got this guy on my arm, you know, I can understand. And luckily one of my friends opened the car, a friend of mine opened his car. I put him in the car and he drove off. Yep. And I remember I'm standing there in a pool of blood and and this is the truth. And I was like, what the hell? I got in the car. By the time I got to the hospital, he, 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 he died in the ambulance. Um, it, it was very, very upsetting. And right. I, that night I went back home. I went back to the club and I stood there and I saw this, this blood. And I said, do I really want this in my life? Today I'm standing in it. Tomorrow I could be lying in it. That's the truth. And this corporate opportunity came up and I thought, I don't want this life. I don't want, I don't want this drama. I don't want these wars. I don't want these gangsters around. I don't want it anymore. And I just took the, the option and went for it. So that's how I ended up in London with this corporate company. So I sold everything up in Leicester um, ended up going to work for this company in London. I became their global operations manager. I'm not going to mention the company, um, but they did become a Microsoft partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll explain to you how they became a Microsoft partner as well, which is quite an interesting story. Um, so anyway, so I started working for this company. I started getting them deals with Ludacris, Pharrell, um, Buster Rhymes. I started getting them. They started doing, they were doing urban gaming. So you know, like you have Grand, um, Grand Theft Auto. Yep. See, I'm, I'm really far back with car, um, gaming. Anyway, they had their own version of it on their gaming console. Okay. Right? So they had a gaming console and what they needed was content. They had a really good device and it was working over Microsoft platform. But the problem was they had no content for the device. So whenever investors came to them, they were like, okay, you've got an amazing platform. You've got an amazing device. What games do you have? I'm like, no games. Sorry, no games. We've got Hangman. We've got Tetris. You know, we've got, you know, and obviously, you know, if anybody's going to invest in, in a company, you need games. So the way it worked then, I'm not sure how it works in gaming now, you have to have 150,000 units in the market before EA games or anybody else develops a game for your platform, a developer kit, it's called. So they weren't interested in taking half a million. They were like, once you got, once you have 500, 150,000 devices in the market, we'll start making games for you. Okay. We were like, 
we can't put 150,000 devices out into the market because we need games for it. So it was a chicken and egg scenario. So we, we were there and we were trying to push the company forward through music. I signed a deal with Warner Brothers, which I initiated, which went really well, um, which got the company share price up. The other partners did some things and you know we started moving forward slowly but surely. Um, but the thing that changed it all was an event in, in LA. Have you heard of the E3? Yeah. So E3. So what happened was this was around the time of 9-11. So I had the wrong image and look. Mm. Seat guy, beard, turban. People are going to um, lump you in that box. Oh, I, I was in that ignorance. box. I was in that box. Right. Guys, you know, and my image was not the best image for the company. So what happened was we had a, a guy working for us from Ogilvy, which is a huge company. I think you might have heard it. One of the biggest marketing companies in the world owned mm -hmm. by publicists. Anyway, he went into my CEO's um, office and said, look, Bali should not go to E3. He's the wrong look. We don't want him there. My CEO called me into the office and he said, my, my friend, she said, Bali's fucking going. He's a guy who's handling the operation. He's a guy who handles all the, and what we were doing were, was we were putting urban stands together. So we put break dancers on the stage. We'd put a DJ there. So everybody would want to come and build up some hype. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and we were urban product. So they were like, Bali, you can, we want you to go, but you have to understand his point of view as well. I said, I completely understand and I'll keep in the background. I'll keep in the shadows. So anyway, so that happened. And then I flew to LA, did the setting up and I kept in the background. Yep. You know, the guys were break dancing, people coming to the stands. It was a really cool um, stand we had. But come on guys, you guys are from Canada. How many, how many Indian people do you know in LA? I'm not sure, man. Not many, right? Yeah. Not many Indians in LA, Probably especially not. in the center of LA. How many Indians do you think are you going to get in E3? It's very slim amount. No? So how many Sikhs do you think you're going to see at E3? With yeah. turbans and beards? Including you, maybe one person out there, <laughs> if you're lucky. So, I'm standing on my stand, right, in the backgrounds. I see a Sikh with a big bug, yep, and a big beard. Mm -hmm. He sees me, I see him. We just go up to each other automatically, you know? And we shook hands and like, I was like, hey, how are you? He goes, I'm good. He goes, oh, what are you doing here? I went, oh, brother, I'm organizing this. I'm one of the partners in the company. I'm one of the shareholders. And let me show you. I got one of my team to show him the gaming console. Because I like it. And, you know, I didn't take anything. I just thought it's cool, nice. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, oh, um, he hands me his business. No, he didn't hand me his business. So he goes, and I said, our biggest problem is we can't find any games. Maybe I can give you some games. So who's this guy? <laughs> I didn't think, you know, I just thought of him as a yeah. brother. I didn't think he was anybody important. He hands me his business card. He's the managing director of Microsoft Japan. Jeez. A guy called Pa Singh. Wow. Yep. From, um, some, from San Francisco. So anyway, Pa Singh was the person who took me for a meeting with Rockstar Studios in, in 
the head office in Seattle. Yep. We did a presentation to the Microsoft gaming team. Wow, man. And we signed, I don't know how big it is now, we signed three titles. Microsoft was going to make games for us. Remember the Is Halo still around, guys? Yeah, man. So Halo was one of the games they were going to give us. This is incredible. So, so that happened. Obviously, you know, I, I, I went to one of the directors at the conference. And he was like, what the hell? Who the hell? Oh, my God. We need to meet this guy. Bali, you need to, you know, they were, they were all over me like flies. Around the <laughs> I went back to, um, I went back to London and they were like, Bali, you need to get over to, you need to get over to Canada. You need to get over to Canada. You need to meet this guy. I met with him. We, we gelled and Microsoft started making games for us from, I think at that time, the share price was $2. Once we put the press release out, Microsoft was a partner with us. Our share price went up to $32. Wow. Overnight, we skyrocketed. Hedge funds were calling us saying, how come you haven't offered us, um, sorry guys, just um, making myself comfortable. Uh, Microsoft, uh, hedge funds were calling and saying, how come you haven't offered us this equity? We want shares in this company. Yeah. Anyway, the company blew up. The, the partners in the company showed, showed me their appreciation. And, they, and they, I think they saw my potential. <clears throat> That's the truth. And once they saw my potential, sorry guys, just adjusting my life. Yeah. Um, once they saw my potential, they, they trusted me. And I kept on developing the company. And um, again, that venture, they moved me out of that venture and put me into another venture in LA. They said, Bali, we're opening offices in LA. We're starting a company that basically gives students mobile phones. This is when, you know, you couldn't send a video on a mobile phone. This is when you used to play Snake. Right. Nokia's. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is when Blackberries were black and white. I used to steal what? my dad's little brick Nokia yeah, and play Snake, man. <laughs> yeah. It used to be an amazing game. So, we developed a, comp- a software, uh, a video compression software where you could send videos via SMS. Obviously, it's easy now, but 20 years ago, 50, nah, well, 10 years ago, it wasn't that easy. Anyway, right. so what our game, our plan was, was to give mobile phones to students free Yep. Connect their credit card to the mobile phone. And okay. every time they wanted credit, they would have to watch an advert. Okay. Yep. So three, three airtime. So you watch an advert, you put in a pin and you get 20 minutes credit. But if the person, if the student liked the product, say it was a music video and they wanted to download that track, they could buy it and it was connected to their credit card. So the money would come straight. Very simple system. It was good. Um, and then I started developing that with that company. Mm-hmm. One of our partners, uh, one of the directors in the company had a very unfortunate incident on, on a, a freeway, um, smashed a car up. It was the first of a million dollar car crash. The share price plummeted. Um, I was new in this game. My shares, weren't matured i was on a two-year restriction and i was one month away before i could sell my stock in the company so that happened 
it was a whole scenario. And I, I said, you know what? I think it's time for me to go home because nobody's paying wages. It was a bad time. I said, it's time for me to go home. So I'd saved around $3,000. I had $3,000 left in my pocket. I got on a plane and I went back to um, England. $3,000 left, man. Yeah. This is I mean, just, don't get me this... wrong, $3,000 is a lot of money. Don't no, but wrong, going man. from 28, like a value of 28 million to. Oh, yeah, I was living, I was living, you guys must know Master P. Yes. I was living next door to him. Bro, you were balling. I was living in a place called Bel Air Crest. Master P, Travis Barker, all used to live in the same street as us. So, you know, it, it was cool. So that's why I kind of bring this story up, man. The rise and fall, it's, it's, it's almost poetic in a weird way because you started from the bottom, you learned the, the value of hard work, and then despite bullying, despite being judged, uh, despite uh, people around 9-11 looking at you and still putting you in this box and this category and doubting you, your CEO at the time took that chance on you if you want to call it that, taking a chance. And he believed in me. He believed in you and, and you went and you believed in somebody else. Yeah. That you didn't know this man. You didn't know did he say Paul Singh was his name? Paul you Singh. didn't know you didn't know him. But you just, you know, extended a normal courtesy, like, yeah, why would I not? This is how I was raised. This is like obviously I'm gonna to talk to this guy. And then, you know, look look what that did. So I th- I just think like this roller coaster of a journey, man. It just speaks to, it really does speak to you as a person and how you're able to pick up the pieces and, you know, obviously ride the highs, but then also be humble in the lows, man. So so what did you do then when you went to the UK with three thousand dollars? So I went to the UK. <laughs> I went back back home, and then I had this buzz, and I still wanted to do something. This was when MySpace was around, guys. You remember MySpace? Man, is it before MySpace, your era? MySpace is right before my era, man. I know it. I was on it, but I did. People were already dying off of it. There, there you go. You see. So this is, and I, I came back and I really wanted to do something. So again, my parents believed in me, and I took a, I had a property. I took a loan out on that property, and I moved to Mumbai. Wow. So what I was trying to do was you had MySpace. I made a company called My Yard. <laughs> My Yard. MyYard.com. Yes, but basically, man. it was the MySpace of India. There you go. That was my whole idea of it. Okay. MyYard.com. So you could do the same things, better functionality, better, you know. Obviously, I basically signed a deal um, with the Times of India group. It was a three billion, three billion rupee deal. Jeez. Yep. Man. They would spend. They'd become a partner in the company. Yep. And they would give me three billion rupees worth of marketing space. In all their areas, billboards, bus stands, um, publications, live. In, they would basically be three billion if they could take fifty percent in my company. Deal was done. Yep. My web designers, who promised me that they were going to develop it, let me down. Mm. So I had to keep on redeveloping, redeveloping. And while I was redeveloping, the attacks happened in India. 
You remember the yeah, uh, Mumbai yeah, attacks? Yeah. Yep. So all of a sudden, business shut off. Times of India pulled out, said, Bali, we're not in the right stage right now. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's investing in India. My investors pulled out that I had. That's when I came back to England. I said, you know what? Sometimes you have to admit a failure. You try something. It didn't work. I came home. And that's when I came home and I was like, Bali, okay, maybe you're not this guy. Maybe you're going to have to do something else. That's the truth. So, hence, I became a security guard. So I became a doorman. So, um, you know, don't get me how wrong. Does your, how does your ego handle all this, man? How, how, how can you, how, how do you pick up the pieces after being so high and then these big ass deals and then to, you know what, let me humble myself and be a, be a security guard, a doorman or whatever. You don't, you've got to understand from going to Sting's house for the weekend, you know who Sting is? Yeah. He's just making sure because my, my, my artists are very old. So we, you remember the track Punjabi Mundi Atabachke? Yes. You, you know the guys called the Cray Twins? No, I don't. Okay. The, the guys who produced, co-produced that track were the Cray Twins. Okay. So Punjab, Mundi Abdubatsky was made and produced by the Cray Twins Gee, and okay. Punjab EMC. So the original record, when it was first put out, it was produced, they've got the, the, the CDs and everything. It said, co-produced by the Cray Twins. As soon as the track went number one, Punjab EMC kicked them off the track Jeez. and took the co-production off. Oh, it's like that sometimes in that game, right? <laughs> yeah. Damn. So I was managing them as well at the same time. And we were going, and remember the, Monday, you might remember the track with Twister, Lethal, Twister, Lethal B. Anyway, you'll, if you- I know Twister, but I don't know which, which uh, I don't know Cray Twins. I haven't heard of them, but- well, Basically, the Cray Twins are two sing guys who were music producers and DJs. Mm. Yep, they were getting bullied by Punjabi MC's crew. Okay. I stepped in the middle of it and said, well, you're not bullying them no more. Simple. They're my boys. I'm managing them. And they backed off and I started working with the Cray Twins. And then we started going into the studio with DMX. Yep, these are sick guys. This is not now, guys. This is not now when it's easy. This is 15 years ago. You're blending cultures together. This is like... Our track was the first ever UK hip hop, UK hip hop, and American hip hop collaboration ever. Oh, ever. That's wild to me, man. Yep. Because now I could tell you from my perspective, like, sorry to interrupt you, yep. just like the speaking from like the, the some of the music I listen to and like what currently I'm really into is like. For a big like moment for me that I saw was when Drake made more life and he started making some of these UK, uh, having these UK collaborations mm-hmm. with people like Skepta and Gigs and we Dave. Started that sh- we started that and shit. So, and so you talking about bridging, bridging that gap even before that, I find that so interesting. Bro, Mark Ronson borrowed my Jaguar for his first ever video with Ghostface Killer. You know, Uwe. Yeah, I know Uwe. 
Ooh wee. Yeah. That yeah, was yeah. in the video. The Craig twins were in the video. Have a look at the first ever Mark Ronson video. Ooh wee with Ghostface and Nate Dog. I was in that video. That's a while. That's how long I've been in this game. From doing that, coming back to Leicester, mm-hmm. and becoming a security guard. Just imagine all of that history behind me. And that's what that's what I mean. So how do you? You got these people's number. You got all these things that you've done in business with these people. You have all these partnerships, all these things. And then how do you swallow all that and just be like, you know what, man, it's all good. This is just what it is right now. Just you have to because you have to pay the bills. Mm. You know, I had to face responsibility. I had to keep the lights on. So what I did was very simply swallow my pride and got to work. So I I just started doing the security at the nightclubs, and I was and I wasn't put in any easy places. Now, you guys might not know it because you're in Canada, but I did the security in a place called Corby. Corby is most probably one of the roughest places in the UK. Mm. You have Scottish, Russian, Romanian, Polish, all in the same nightclub. And I was the only Indian in the whole club. Sounds like a hard and I was place. The, I was the head doorman. Okay. And it was a really racist. I mean, next level. It's like, what's, what's a redneck area for you guys? Yeah, man. Like, you know, <laughs> there, are them. <laughs> there, 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 there are a lot of them. But, uh, you know, pretty much outside of the major cities, uh, you'll see, you'll experience a lot more of that racism. But so, in Canada, we're a little bit more insulated from that. You're, you're fine. But I'm just on about, you don't understand. It was like, it wasn't, if I was going to get into a fight, it, it was how many fights I was going to have. Let me give you one prime example of this nightclub I worked in. So first, right, the son came and attacked me. Yep, I'm just giving you, this young lad came and attacked me. I dealt with him. Just to put it in a nice way. He went to sleep. Um, and then the father came and attacked me. Right? I dealt with the father as well. Two hours later, I'm standing in the club. The mother, the mother came no. and bottled, <laughs> got a, and bottled me in the back of the head. Oh my God. Do you understand how rough this place was? Bro. You understand? I'm on about, it was hard. But anyway, the main thing is, anything I do, I put my mind to it and I focus on it and I control the club and I made them accept me. The same way I made the corporates accept me, the same way I made people in LA accept me, the same way I I made hip hop accept me. Mm -hmm. They respected me and the club was under control. And all of a sudden, all these not so friendly people became friendly. Because they right. knew I wasn't going to just back down. Well, they, they gained that respect from you. Because you're, yeah. you're going to stand your ground. And you, you knew from I, I a young age. Right. Yeah. More than standing your ground, but also stepping up and like showing that you're not, you're not fucking around either, you know? <laughs> that, I, I like to hear that, man. And I'm sure you probably gained a lot of respect from people from that. What was the next, what was the next step, though? How do you, do you take that? Uh, and and then you know get back in the game. You know what was the next catalyst? Um, 
So th this was the situation, right? You've got this, I'd say meathead then. If you see me, I'll send you a picture of what I used to look like. So you've got this meathead, try to talk to the nightclub owners. Say, look, I used to be a promoter. I used to own my own nightclub. Give me a chance. They looked at me as a doorman. They're like, mm. yeah, right. Oh, I used to work with Microsoft partners. I used to live in LA. I used to do this. I used to manage the creators. They, yeah, right, mate. And that was, <laughs> they, they, nobody believed me. And people used to come up to me. I remember some people came up to me. Um, and it was a friend of mine as well. But he was a friend of somebody else's as well, which I didn't get on with, who was another promoter. And he came up to me when I was standing on the doors in a nightclub. And he goes, hey, bro, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good doing my thing. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know that guy? You know, he said the guy's name. I'm not going to mention the name. He's like, oh, he's smashing it now, isn't he? Like, basically saying, hi, you're smashing yeah. it in your dorm. I said, yeah, he's doing well. Good luck to him. Um, anyway, and it, it hurt. I, I still remember, and I've got a really bad memory. I remember that day he came to me and he was trying to, you know, people try to dig, dig, you know, and try to trigger you off. Anyway, I got past it and random, I get a random phone call. No, this is what happened. So I get a random phone call saying, can you do some security, right? And help me out at a gig. That gig was for Trey Songs. Right. Big yeah. Trey Songs fan. Yeah. I was, I was Trey Songs brand manager. Right. That's I'll tell you. I, I was going to get into next. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll mention that after. So what happened was I said, I'm not doing the security, but I might have a gig because I had a friend who had a nightclub in Manchester said, give me the after party for Manchester. So that promoter gave me the after party for Trey Songs. Right? So right. when I did the after party with Trey Songs, um, I did it really well. You know, he loved it. I got on with Trey. I got on with the security. I got on with his, his manager. He is not his main manager, but his tour manager. Mm -hmm. And he was like, Bali, we want to we wanna fuck with you. We, we want to work with you. Yeah. I'm like, cool. I'll get you all the gigs. So I started basically working for Trey Songs. And then he introduced me to Kevin Lyles. Okay. You know who okay. Kevin Lyles is? Yeah, man. Yeah. He, he was the former, he was the CEO of Def Jam Records. Mm -hmm. He was Jay-Z's mentor. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And now, obviously, he, he's the CEO of 300 Records, which are Migos and so on. So he's the one who signed Migos up. They're his, his group and many others. Um, anyway, so I get introduced to Kevin. Kevin goes, right, you're my guy. Anything in England, you're my guy, Bali. And he gave me so many opportunities. And after one meeting with Kevin Lyles, he just trusted me. I'm on about, he made me uh, Big John's guy. No, sorry, not Big John. Little John. Sorry. I thought Little you meant John. like a Big John, uh, like a UFC dude. I'm like, okay. No, no, no. <laughs> Little oh, John's manager yeah, John. when he was in the UK. Yeah. Uh, also, you, you know a guy called Nelly? Yeah. He made me Nelly's brand manager. Bro. Yep. So and this all started him. This all started from just like building a relationship with the tour manager. 
what do you what like what superpower do you have that you're me whoever you're meeting all these people that you're meeting you're developing that relationship enough with them they trust you enough to take you and be like yeah yeah, yeah we mess with this guy because i wasn't starstruck mm. you understand yeah i acted like i was meant to be then makes sense you understand the minute if you meet your icon if you meet you know somebody you're a fan of if you act like a fan they will treat you like they a fan. treat you like a fan that's so if true you man. Act a normal guy, don't ever put people on a pedestal because then they're gonna they're gonna like make them naked like, make <laughs> them, remember when people say imagine them in their underpants yeah yep so that that barrier is not there it's never been there for me i've never been starstruck even with the black ips anybody you i ever met yeah, I'm mixed. These are just yeah, humans yeah. at the end of the day. What's yeah. different? What's different from me and you? And and that's man. I, I hate to interrupt your your train of thought there, but that's actually something that uh, one of the reasons I started this podcast is because I feel like you should be able to chat and talk to anybody, no matter what they're doing, no matter who they're who they're you know what their status is, what they've done in their life, and that's not to take anything away from anybody, even yourself as accomplished as you. We're still human at the end of the day. We're both having this conversation and we're both, you know, we fundamentally all want the same kind of Sorry. things. Health, wealth, happiness. Of course we do. Decrease suffering Everybody for ourselves does. and our families. But we're all just human at the end of the day. So I think that's very, it's, it's a very important point you just said right there. And I think people should really take that away. It's like, don't put people on a pedestal if you want to get ahead just you treat everybody like you would treat anybody look the main thing is and i always tell people act professional and i was professional in anything i did i did my job and mm -hmm. i did it well focus it doesn't matter what you're doing in life if you focus on it you will stand out and people will want to use you common sense is not common as they say a friend of mine <laughs> says it to me Very it's true. so true and you're cursed, you're cursed with common sense. Because you have to explain to all the other idiots that don't have common sense, what's going on. It's, it's a nightmare, seriously, simple things. You look at people like bewildered, like, dude, are you serious? Yeah. It happens many times. Anyway, that's, I, I don't want to lose my, um, yeah, yeah, sorry about that. my line of thought and you know, those things I did. So at the same time, I was still a doorman. So I was doing these little jobs for Tri Nelly and Nelly, Trey songs. This was in between because it wasn't paying the bills. That's the truth. You know, it was, it was just helping them at the time. There was no money involved, right? So I was still a doorman at this time. Still when I was Nelly's brand manager, I was still a doorman. So anyway, uh, somebody gave me a call one day and said, Bali, can you get me 50 cent? I'm a guy. I'm a promoter from Marbella in Spain. I want 50 cent. I believe he's, he's there in London. Do you think you can get him? I said, no, but I can't get him because the dates didn't work out. I said, what about Pharrell? He goes, can you get me? And this is when, do you remember L.E.R.D.? Yes. So this is, I said, I can't get you, I can't get you um, 50, um, 50 cent. I can get you Pharrell. I can get you L.E.R.D. So, because I had a relationship with NERD because of the gaming company. 
So I messaged Pharrell's manager, emailed her, said, hey, Yan Lee, listen, I've got an offer for Marbella. Are you guys willing to do it? She said yes. So I flew over to Marbella to set up the deal. The hotel where I stayed in, yep, and they put me in a really crap room. And I was like, this is not good enough. And you always have to act like you're meant to be there. So I'm, I'm representing Pharrell here. So I'm not going to stay in a, a normal room. So anyway, I said the promoter, yo, you need to sort me out. So they put me in the best suite in the hotel. Anyway, they put me in the best suite in the hotel. The owner of the hotel came out, said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to mention the name. Um, some people want to be mentioned, some people don't. So I always keep it neutral. Fair he goes, enough. hey, I'm the owner. And I started talking to him. We started, over the three days I was there, we started forming a relationship and he started talking to me. I started giving him ideas. He was like, oh, this is right. Oh, this is good. This, I started giving him contact. And he was like, at the end of this meeting, when I went to go do the Pharrell party, right? Pharrell came, NERD came, sold out the place. Princes, royalty came from Abu Dhabi, Dubai, all over. They were there already in Marbella. It was a sellout event, which was great. And then after that happened, um, the, the owner of the hotel, I went back to the, to the hotel and the next day I was just chilling by the pool. And he goes, hey, Bali, I've got a suggestion. How about you come work with me? This is when I was still a doorman, don't forget, right? I said, okay, why not? He goes, why don't you become my uh, marketing manager for the hotel? It was a new up and coming hotel, very funky. They had a Scarface room, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a fun hotel. So anyway, I became the hotel's brand manager. Yep. And I started bringing flow right. And no, that's then what happened was the club that I took Trey songs to contacted me and said, look, um, a friend of mine owns a club in Marbella and he wants you to be a partner with him in the club randomly wow. like, because he, he knows I've got contacts and he knows I know the right, celebrity. Right, right. Um, so I went to the owner of the hotel and said, look, you know, I'm working for you. How about we take on this thing as well? And we become partners. Yeah. And he said, why not? We took the club on, smashed it, did really well. Yeah. Um, and then that came to an end in a nice way. Um, and I decided to basically go out and venture out on my own in Marbella. Right. And um, I, started, I started basically doing my own events. So one of my, one of my guys who were, I used to look after was a multimillionaire. He used to book the whole hotel just to have a partner. I'm just going to book yeah. the whole hotel, not a floor, yeah. not the yeah. conference room. Give me the whole hotel. <laughs> anyway, okay. so I took that idea to London. Yeah. I said, let's do the same thing in London. And that's when the name Richlist came up. Uh, that's what I was going to ask you. Yep. We were sitting there, me and a friend. Um, we were sitting in, in my house and we just came out. It came up and that's what we did. 
and it was just the rich list. Do you want to be on yeah. this this list? Like it's not a guest list; it's the rich list. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. You man. know, it was, it was a fun thing at that time. Um, obviously, we've evolved. What now. year was that, if you don't mind? Yeah, I'm terrible with years. You need to speak to Jack, my right hand man. <laughs> okay, I'm, fair no, enough. I, fair enough. I've got a lot to remember. As you it, is, it, it is hard to keep the timeline of all these events so much going yeah. on, man. But yeah. So anyway. then you start Rich List. Now yeah. let's talk about that a little bit. Now, you, now you've been doing these events for a while. You've got, you know, you've got the cred. You've got the, the celeb contacts. You obviously know how to throw a fire party. So talk to me about now. How do you, how do you then take an idea and actually get high paying clients and, you know, put the whole doorman life behind you. Well, I carried on doing the doors. No way. I mean, well, I stopped the doors then, didn't I? Okay. Um, <laughs> so look, I had the experience, I had the knowledge. I'd already done the nightclubs. I'd already done everything. So this was nothing new to me. For Marbella, it was new. So anyway, so what we did was there's a place called Ocean Club where you spray champagne. So you buy like 50 bottles and you spray it. Basically, I'm, you know, now they do it in America, but then it was new. Right. Right. So what I did was obviously we're in London, it's freezing cold. So in the middle of winter, when the season was finished in Marbella, I hired, I hired 20 jacuzzis, hot tubs, right? Um, I got a hotel, I rented their swimming pool. I put the jacuzzis around. And I basically bought 2,000 bottles of champagne and invited all my clients to do a champagne spray in the pool. So it was a, it was a champagne spray party. So everybody would buy 50 bottles and everybody just spray champagne in the swimming pool and spray each other. You, you, it's, it's in one of my YouTube videos, you'll see it. Anyway, it was the, and we sprayed 2,000 bottles of champagne that night. And what we, a vibe, man. What an experience. It was, it was something we did. And, and then we evolved. And then what I did was because Dubai was, um, because, because Marbella was seasonal, because it was only the summer months, I had nothing to do in the winter. Mm-hmm. So I used to go back and become a doorman. Meanwhile, I was still doing the rich list parties, but I was still being a doorman at the same time. Bro, what so a duality. How, how do you keep those two, those two lines? Not to speak any Ill, Ill will about being a doorman or a security person or anything. There's nothing, nothing wrong about the profession not. I'm or just anything. Saying it's just while you're, while you're doing both at the yeah. same time, you know, uh, clearly you're not somebody who cares what people think about him. But it has to, it has to, some of, some of it has to seep in a little bit like, man, like I'm doing all this in the summer months, I'm crushing it and all this, I'm building this business out, but then I'm still, I'm still doing this doorman thing. It doesn't bother me. Because you Did know not what? bother you. You know why? Because I knew what I was doing. Mm. I knew where my goal was. Powerful. You know, I was watching um, Jay. Um, Shetty? Yeah, I was watching him today yesterday and he was he was talking about coronavirus and he was saying everybody's focused about being in the forest right now we're in the forest we're not through the forest we're in the forest and what you need to vision is being on the other side and that's what my vision was 
being on the other side. I knew what I was building. I knew the potential. Yep. So I kept focused and I carried on doing the doors. I carried on doing the parties until it was capable, until I was capable of financially supporting my family without doing the security. So what happened was, this is what happened. A friend of mine, a guy called Jason and Sterling Barana from Leicester. Sterling had been asking me to come to Dubai for years. He goes, Bali, there's a big party scene here. It, nobody's controlling it. You would kill it here. So I flew to Dubai and lived with my friend in his house because I couldn't afford the rent. I lived with him in Dubai in his apartment. Obviously, he didn't charge me no rent because I wanted to become a promoter in Dubai. I became a promoter in Dubai. In, I, came a promoter, I became a promoter in Dubai. And then started throwing my own parties. And they were off the chain again. Because everything I used to do was a bit crazy, mm -hmm. to say lightly. I started throwing yacht parties in Dubai. Right. I would line up three yachts in a row in the middle of the Dubai Sea. Yep. And have DJs on each yacht. This was like, guys, this was like 10, you know, a fair few years ago. And, every, and everybody could hop, yacht jump. So we'd have 100 people on these yachts and everybody would go from yacht to yacht and party in different yachts with different music. Okay, I'm going to interject with a quick question and I hope uh, this is not too blunt, but are you doing, are you doing these events, these parties with, with the revenue from existing uh, parties or with other people's money? How are you funding these next level I was, extravagant parties? I was, I was saving. Mm. I was saving. That's what I was doing. And every time I made money, I reinvested it in a party. Right. To get the content. That was the key. When it was just keep, keep funneling into your own thing. Keep going. Keep having that long-term vision. And then what happened was I got an opportunity on a private island in Dubai. Okay. The owner said, you want to throw a party on my private island? Okay. He wasn't doing well. So I did the first ever private island party in Dubai. Okay. Yep. So I took 300 people on this massive yacht. Yep. So we, we used to leave at 12 o'clock on a Saturday and we used to party all the way to, this is popping bottles of champagne, 300 <laughs> people partying away. You can look at it on YouTube. I'm not making this shit up, right? Nuts. So I'll send you some of the videos. So 300 people used to go to this island, which used to take an hour and a half on this slow yacht, yeah. land on the island, do a pool party on the island. People used to say, buddy, I've never ever seen anything in my life like this party. It was just 300 people by a pool going crazy. Yep. And I can't tell you what was going. And this was on the world island. You know, the world island where they made the world. You had, you had Lebanon Island where I used to do my party. You had England. You had different countries. I, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yep. So basically, I started doing parties there. And then I started launching clubs. Yep. You know, Jeremiah? Oh, I see the world island now. So I had to Google it. That's so cool. Yep. I've actually never seen that. Yep. So Jeremiah, <laughs> yeah. uh, Bobby Valentino, Man. all these people I took to the, this private island party and it blew up. And then nightclub started asking me to start launching their clubs. Right. So I started launching nightclubs. Yes. I launched one nightclub, launched another one, 
Well, she's the one I, I carried on. Well, Dub- carried Dubai on. was a playground. It was a place where everybody would, a, a lot of these high net worth individuals would come and let loose and get. People to go Bali is a hundred grand. Put on a party. And I'd put on a party, keep 20 of it, spend 80. I remember this one guy, his name's Flo, okay. right? Nigerian. His mom's the third richest black woman in the world. Okay. Yep. He, go, he came to Dubai through a contact of mine in Vegas and he goes, Bali, I want to throw something crazy. I went, how about this? We put a platform in the middle of the sea and we put yachts around it. And we have jet skis. So everybody who wants to come to the dance on the island, on, yeah. the, on the platform, comes on jet skis and comes and dances on the, on the platform and we DJ there. I did it. Well, what a surreal experience, man. Like, I, I can't. Did. I was just doing dumb closest shit. closest I've been to that was like going to Mykonos or something, man. Like, this is not, <laughs> this is a whole different league. And this was in Dubai, bro. This was in Dubai. You know how conservative they are. Right, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I'm deep. But I had some good relationships. I think so that's I, I what made, that's really my biggest takeaway from everything you're talking about is the relationships that you yeah. built. Your network was really your net worth. Yeah, it was. And like I said, then Trey came, then Nelly came to Dubai. I was looking after Nelly, I was looking after Trey. Everybody's like, yo, man, you you've got all these people, you know. And, um I didn't want to open a nightclub. Somebody tried to sign me in for a rich list nightclub, I didn't do it in the end. Oh, you've been there, done that. I said, I don't want to own a nightclub. Mm. I went, why do I, why do I want to have a Friday, Saturday night when I can have a Saturday night every night right. in a different club? Mm. So anyway, I didn't want to get tied down. So I carried on. That's how I built. And then I got an opportunity. What happened was, how did I get into Formula One? Mm-hmm. That's something yep. everybody's thinking. Okay, so from nightclub to Formula One events. So what happened was, this was Cavalli Club. Okay. I used to do nights at Cavalli. Okay. I used to smash them, right? I used, I used to generate. Sometimes people used to come and spend $150,000 a night. <laughs> yeah? Um, anyway, they said, Bali, because I was doing so well in Dubai, they said, we want you to host our super VIP area. Okay. At the Formula One. Is this like in Monaco or where was this? No, this is in Abu Dhabi. Okay, Abu Dhabi, okay. So, I started basically with four tables in a nightclub at the Formula One. Four tables, that's all I had. Do you know how many tables and how many people come through the Formula One in Abu Dhabi through my area now? How many do you think? I started Uh, with four tables. Like 50? I have 150 tables, VIP tables. They start at 5,000 and they go up to $50,000. Bro, yep. starting I have at around 14 to 15,000 people come through my area throughout the weekend. That's my area, the richest area. And I do Singapore. I do Monaco. It's a dream to go there, bro. Yeah. Come whenever you want, brother. <laughs> Look, man, this is your story is so amazing. Yeah. Uh, and all of this is blowing my mind. Uh, sorry, I'll let you finish your thought there. Go ahead. So, look, people believe in you. If you do your job, people will give you opportunities. This is not me. There's no skill in this. Anything you do, if you're, whatever you do, if you're working in a call center, 
Be the best person in that call center. Mm. This is how people get ahead. You don't get ahead by, oh, you got this. You, no, bullshit. I'm sorry to swear. It's, it's a myth. You work, you achieve. You become the best at your game, whatever it may be. Maybe if you're a cricketer, maybe if you're a footballer, maybe if you're a car, um, insurance salesman, whatever you are, be the best at whatever you can be. Because then your superiors will see that and you'll succeed. And they'll put you up higher in the ranks. And that's what I did. Be the best at what you can do. That's so powerful, man. I think a lot of people need to hear that because at a time when so many people are so lost and don't really know what they want to do with their lives and are so like wishy-washy and like, I want to do this, I want to try that. Be the best at what you are doing right now and you will get success. And it comes down and from everybody I've talked to who's experienced any level of success in life, they all say the same thing. It does come back to hard work. You know, you have to put in the work to reap any of the benefits. And in the world, in an Instagram world that we live in, where people are only going to look at the end result, they're only going to look at the shiny Ferrari, the Rolls Royce, the mansion. Oh, wait, guys. It's not real. Yeah. Yeah. You're kidding. Just because you stand in front of a Ferrari, you'll borrow it for half an hour. Who are you kidding? You're only kidding yourself. Because you can't afford that Ferrari. You can't afford the mansion you're standing at in front of. Yeah. You're going back to your normal house. Stop kidding yourself and get to work. That's the truth. Stop living this fake life and get to work. That's, that's there, my, you know, there what? was a my quote friend, you had, man. And it my was son a... started doing all of this. He started yeah. doing all of this, popping bottles and standing <laughs> in front. I went, stop. Build something yeah. first. I said, no, what I did was, well, I didn't do it. Anna, my wife. Yep. She sacked him. So oh. Richard is junior, right? Yeah. He started, didn't care. He didn't, he didn't understand the value of money. He was young. It's my fault. Because when you're a single father, you don't care. You just throw money at it. So the kids don't give you a headache. Anna went, you're with me now. This is not going to happen. You're not yeah. going to spoil your children. And she, she made me sack Indy my son, and he worked in a clothes shop in Leicester for a year. And then after that, he, pers he persuaded Anna and said, give me another chance. And then he came back and I said, right, you've got a different mentality now. He goes, yeah, dad, I have. I went, are you going to go buy a $3,000 tracksuit now? He goes, no, that would take me four months to buy. I went, there you go. It changes That's your relationship to, to money when you realize what it takes to actually put in work. And you know what? I can't take the credit for it. Anna has to take the credit for it. Anna's sitting there eating dinner, but I can't really. <laughs> we don't really have dinner. Anyway, so Anna's my hero. Let's she talk about let's talk about Anna a little bit, and uh, and you you, you often refer to her as the boss. Talk yeah. to me about how you two keep each other grounded. She keeps me grounded. <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no reciprocal uh no i think it's nature to that anna's anna's very humble she's she's very humble and she she just she cares about family more than anything in this world that's all she i'm not joking guys she cares more about family and i learned a lot from the spanish culture right because of anna and i realized how much Spanish people love their family. 
They don't care Absolutely. about anything else. They look, mostly love their family just the same as Indians love their families. Absolutely. And they have that close bond and that relationship. And A lot of parallels there. I had some nightmares with Indy, but now, that kid, Indy now, I am so proud of him. That's awesome. You know what? I talked about those 150 tables we have at the Formula One. Who do you think takes all those reservations and manages all of those tables? Wow. My 21-year-old, Indy, Richard Jr. Oh, my 22-year-old, sorry. 22-year-old. So he handles all the bookings and reservations, not only for Abu Dhabi Formula One, for all the Formula Ones. Yep. And handles all the bookings and reservations and handles all the nightclubs for Spain. That's incredible, yep. man. That, how, how else are you going to learn the value of hard work? And that's, uh, that's very powerful, man. I push I him. That. I push him. I still push him now. There was a quote you had, and this is what I was kind of bringing up before. You said, build a foundation. Don't get caught up in the Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram uh, bullshit. Uh, and, you know, you, you'll just end up with a load of followers and no money. And you, you've, you've embodied that in the most pure way in, in that you built your foundation. Let me, let, you know, when people look at my Instagram, right, and I go to meetings, And I, I, I tell businesses, I, and I say, look, what's more value? Me with 100,000 followers, yep, or the guy who's got 5 million? What's the difference between the guy who's got 5 million and me with 100,000 followers? They say, what is the difference, Bali? He's got 5 million, you've only got 100,000. I went, 2,000 of the people that follow me are millionaires. Hmm. I don't care about the other 89 and the 98,000. They're not, they're irrelevant. Those are your customers. 2,000 people have millions of dollars to spend with me. That's what I care about. The rest are irrelevant. You see, people start thinking about followers. I don't think about followers. I think about clients. Mm. My 2,000 clients are the ones I'm fo that follow me and listen to what I do. And that's why I make what I make. And, you know, we're, we're somewhat successful. That's powerful, man. That's so yep. powerful. It's, it's those 2,000 that are actually funding the business, are actually generating revenue for your business, are actually moving the needle. The rest is vanity. The rest those are are, I'm not saying they're a waste of time, but I'm just saying there are people that want to be motivated. They want to know about my lifestyle. They want to know what I do. They want to know about my work ethics. Absolutely. So I'm not saying those people are a waste of time. Mm -hmm. The people mm -hmm. that might end up being very, very successful. Hopefully they will be. Hopefully they'll take some information and knowledge of me and a few other people around who they follow and hopefully they'll be, they'll be on the right track. Well, listen, Bali, this has been so incredible. I'm, I'm, we're going to wrap it up soon. Not right away. I've still got a couple more questions for you. I'm sure we could sit here and chat for hours. Um, as you can see, it it's already almost has been. But um, one of my biggest like takeaways from this podcast so far, and like I followed this, um, I followed this uh, tech entrepreneur investor uh, named Naval Ravikant, and he talks about you know if you if you he has this quote it's if you drop me on a random street in any English speaking country, and and if I had like gone dead broke from billionaire to dead broke, within five to ten years I'll be wealthy again in 999 out of a thousand parallel universes i believe you are one of these people as well who if you know you are dropped anywhere 
and you go broke again, you will be able to get back onto your feet as you've shown many times. And I know that's not that's not something you plan on doing, but give people give people give people some give people some tangible uh, mindset uh, things that they can do for themselves to pull themselves out, out of a dark place. I know a lot of people right now are taking this coronavirus thing extremely seriously and to heart. And like you mentioned, they're not seeing the, the light at the end of the tunnel, the outside of the forest. Talk to us about some practical, tangible things that you do to keep yourself grounded and keep yourself humble. Look, coronavirus is a huge thing. It's made a, a massive deficit in my business and many other people's businesses. But my focus is, and this is what I'd say to everybody right now, when it comes to coronavirus, forget money. Mm. Forget it. Because what's the use of money when you're dead? What's the use of money when you gave your parents coronavirus? Is that money going to make you feel better? It's not, is it? Knowing that you've gone into your house and carried it, a virus and given it to your parents and they've ended up dying. The main focus right now in the world should be Keep your ass at home, mm -hmm. yep, and love the people that you're around. Spend time with them, because this will pass, and then you can build again. I love you it. You can't man. build again knowing that what happened in, with your family was your responsibility. And not even that alone, guys. You could be killing somebody else. You could be going into another person's house or another office or something and giving it to somebody else who they give it to their parents. Don't be responsible for this disease and this disaster. You need to be responsible and we need to hide, literally hide, hibernate until we're all ready to face this and let the governments handle it. And I know everybody's criticizing the Spanish government, the American government, the Canadian government, the, the Italian government. It's bullshit. They're doing an amazing job. They've got what they've got. Nobody expected this and they're doing the best they can. Nobody knew about this. This is not about 5G. This is not about no conspiracy theory. It's a virus. It happens. People were talking about this virus three years ago. Yeah. There's documentaries. Yep. And you can see, yeah. And they were saying, look, this is going to happen again. We're not ready for it. Yeah. Three years ago, this was no conspiracy theory. They were just, you know, scientists saying this is going to happen again. It's a part of history. Absolutely. So, like I said, guys. Money will come and go. If you're ready to earn it, if you're ready to put those hours in at work, you'll make that money. That's, That's so powerful, truth. man. Keep, keep it grounded. Keep the, the long-term view of it. Do what you can now to protect you and your family. I think it's a very short-term sacrifice to have to just sit in your house. It's really not that deep. <laughs> I, have to, I have to plug it like that. But, um, man... <laughs> this chat has been incredible i usually close my podcast out with a lightning round of five questions but man i just feel like we could just talk for another hour two hours man we'll have to do this again man i'm gonna have you i'm gonna have you uh in my studio one day and you know as i grow this thing as well uh you know we're we're all gonna we're all gonna grow together man so i'm just gonna move into our lightning round and uh okay. and uh we can wrap this up man so the first question in the lightning round is um, what car have you had the most fun driving ever? 
SLR. SLR, Mercedes SLR. Uh, that, that was my dream car growing up, man. I, well, we had one. We had one in LA. That was oh, man. black SLR. Man. <laughs> you know, don't get me wrong. I've had... Um, but I used to... The SLR was amazing. Don't get me wrong. But my Porsche 928, Scarface edition. Oh, man. My baby. That, like, field driving there. Yeah. Yeah. But like I said... That's, that's my car. SLR, always. Love it. What's one piece of advice you would give 17-year-old Bali Singh? Listen to your dad. Listen to your dad. <laughs> Listen to your mother. Listen to your parents. Love it. They man. know what's best for you. As much as you don't think so right now, they know what's best for you. They are always looking out for you. It might not always seem like it. Yeah. I've learned and I've just gone back beyond my dad said that. <laughs> And it's funny because they always tell you, like you know, in Punjabi or otherwise, that they're like, "Yo, you, you're you're gonna realize when you're older what I meant by this." And then I'm starting to, you know, ever since I've moved out and and those kinds of things, it's coming, like brother, it's coming. you start to see it's like, oh damn, maybe mom was right, you know, <laughs> oh maybe dad had a point there. At the time, I was like, man, dad, you you don't know anything. Um, next question. If you could dispel one myth about being an international party planner, what would it be? Don't think it's so glamorous. Mm. Yeah. There's a lot of work. If you check out my, uh, my Instagram um, IG videos behind the scenes of Abu Dhabi Formula One. Banger did it with me, my boy. Yep. Give him a quick plug. Um, and he, he, he basically followed me around. That gives you a little bit in-depth, but a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of sleepless nights going to this and a lot of hard work. And then one thing that, you know, I didn't even really cover on the podcast is that you don't even smoke or drink no. or, you know, do any, any of the drugs. You're, you're very much the facilitator with a complete, clean, sharp eye. And this is business. This is a, this is a work for you, you know? So I hate being I think, in the and so this is so interesting because a lot of people see this glamorous lifestyle and again put it up on a pedestal and you know you know we could talk about the social media aspect of that and it works in that aspect but people should also remember that there's a lot of a lot of pain a lot of work that you have to do on a daily basis to even you know be able to post those things how many people, people? we manage 150 people Dang. working a team of 150 people that's not easy man so you know and and the main people that work is me anna indy and jack Boom. well and, and guys as well talk, and talk about uh, around six people handling 150 people talk about a dream team people. i love that man we have people flying in, in waiters servers hostesses flying in from all over the world and we have to manage their accommodation their transport their training everything within within eight hours of opening the event that's nuts man there's a lot of work goes into it 100 percent. but worth it i mean there's definitely a lot of work but yeah like you said this is something that you've built this is this was 
the long-term vision and who knows what's still in store i feel like you're just getting started man yeah there's a couple of things you know we're working with a couple of governments right now can't, uh, can't mention which ones but we're consulting for some huge projects mega events like huge huge events i, I can't wait to hear all about it man uh it will get there we'll get there. next uh, question what superhero would you be you me yeah if you had to if you had to choose like a superhero that you identify with the most my dad your dad oof fire fire answer this guy didn't no, even... no. it'd have to be a combination <laughs> of my mom and my dad jeez this guy just don't get me wrong my mom has played a huge part in my life she's the boss she's my dad's boss she is the boss huh she's the financial brains so yeah. i'd have a combination my superhero would be mom and dad love it man last and final question before i let you go today how would you like people to remember you how would i a good person a kind person i i i feel like in my life i'm not done anything yet right i still think i have to do something wow i feel like i've achieved you still nothing. have that chip on your shoulder you still got to prove yourself no even despite everything you've done no I don't believe and this is the truth. Okay. I don't believe I was put on this earth to have this amazing life I have just to do this. Mm. It's bullshit. There's a lot more. I don't know what I'm meant to do and I I say this it might just be opening a door for somebody who saves millions of people. That might might be my role in life. God might give me that role or give somebody 10 euros or 5 bucks at a train station and that person saves somebody's life. I don't know what that is but yeah. it can't be because I don't know what I'm here for but it's not for this. I can't man, I feel the same way. I can relate so hard to that. I'm not here to do that man. I'm not here to just live this amazing life and be so blessed and not give anything back to the world. That's the truth. That's the way I feel. Listen man, thank you so much for coming on the It's Not That Deep podcast. I really appreciate your time. I can't wait to continue this dialogue man and meet you in person. It's it's uh it's just great to have your time and and give people a little bit of a an inside scoop of of what it's like and what your story is. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really really enjoyed talking to you and I really appreciate you guys wanting to have me on this show. Thanks a lot man. And just remember everybody, it's not that deep. check out www.itsnotthatdeeppodcast.com check out my instagram i'm going to be putting out lots of content like this thanks a lot bali thanks for listening to another episode of the it's not that deep podcast for access to exclusive articles and content please head over to www.itsnotthatdeeppodcast.com and to help me grow this thing to the next level here's what i need you to do go ahead and subscribe to my podcast on all platforms wherever you listen and share with all your friends and family on all social media and please leave a rating as well remember it's not that deep